0: Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. You'll find the uh, notes in the bulletin. If you don't have a Bible, the text that we'll be looking at this morning is printed on the reverse side. Hebrews chapter 10. And as we turn there, you'll notice that the the title of this morning's message is Community Life in Light of the Cross. Community Life. Life in light of the cross. And we're going to look at one paragraph of Hebrews chapter 10 and three commands that jump out. They're, they're, they're group commands. You see the first one in verse 22. Let us draw near. Verse 23. Let us hold fast. And verse 24. Let us consider. Let us group. This isn't individual. And so as the author of Hebrews has has been writing, developing the superiority, the betterness, if you will, of Jesus and His sacrifice and His priesthood and His covenant, he now begins to move to application. And so what I want to consider this morning is if Christ is risen, and He is, how then ought we to live? What implications does that have for our life? I believe this paragraph of Hebrews helps give an answer to that question. Let's begin my reading, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is of through his flesh, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews chapter 10, community life in light of the cross. And with the time that we have, I just want to briefly look at these three commands. They should be Clear in the text, they jump out. The first one is, let us draw near. Let us draw near. You see that plainly in verse 22. But you also see, if you start back in the paragraph, that this initial command, this initial encouragement, is built upon what came before, because verse 19 starts with, therefore, therefore, And whenever you see a therefore in the text, you want to look behind it to see what it's there for. And he's given reasons why we ought to draw near. And he's speaking about God's throne. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Since then we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. And he's saying to God's throne room. For Hebrews, prior to the cross, this would have been unthinkable. If you remember or know anything about ancient Israel, they had a, a temple, and the, the temple had an outer court of the Gentiles, and then they had an inner court of the women and children, and then they had an inner court of men, and then there was the holy place that only the priests could go into. And then there was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant resided, where the high priest once a year might dare, trembling to enter in, to offer the sacrifice of blood and to get out. But the author of Hebrews has just told us to do, encouraged us corporately to do, is to draw near to that very throne of grace. But he's given us reasons. Notice the first. He answers this first with why and then a why, and then he tells us how and how to do it. So draw near, and he gives two reasons why, and two explanations of how. The first, why. Why would we dare be so bold as to draw near? Because we are confident in Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. Christ's once-for-all sacrifice. Go back to chapter 10, verse 11 through 14 every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. In contrast to that, but when Christ, who had suffered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I trust you understand that, but in case you don't, or this is news to you, understands that there have been many ways by which men and women have tried to become right with God. God even gave Israel the sacrificial system whereby the people would repeatedly, weekly, monthly, annually offer sacrifices if perhaps for some way God's wrath might pass over their sin. The author of Hebrews makes it clear that the blood of bulls and goats, such sacrifices could not affect the salvation we need. Let me add to that. Your best deeds, your good days, they won't help either. Scripture says all of our best deeds are like filthy rags in a polluted garment. What we need is a sacrifice. What we need is a scapegoat. What we need is is a substitute who will take upon himself our sins, who will who will be punished for what we have done. And, and praise God, we have that in Christ Jesus. And his sacrifice is not offered over and over and over again. He was done once for all. Verse twelve: When Christ had suffered once had offered, sorry, for all time a single a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Unlike the other priests who was continually offering sacrifices. He did it once, and he sat down. It was finished. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Because this one sacrifice that was enough, this one sacrifice that was sufficient, we are called to draw near. Draw near to God's throne. Do you realize that because Jesus died and rose again, you are called, I am called, we are called to boldly come before God's throne? Why else? He gives us another reason. Because the new covenant offers forgiveness. Because the new covenant offers forgiveness. Keep reading. Verse 15 of chapter 10. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, said this is the blood of the cup of the new covenant. And Jesus purchased a new covenant. A covenant whereby his sacrifice and his offering offers to all the forgiveness of sins. Cleansing. But note what the author says here. He says, because of this, because of this promise of forgiveness, there is no other offering for sin. Because God sent His Son, because His Son died on the cross for your and my sins, because He was the sufficient and only and perfect substitute, God will tolerate and accept no other means of attempting to achieve forgiveness. For where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. At the end of the day, ultimately, either Jesus is sufficient, His death is sufficient for you, you'll trust in that, or you will perish. There is no other offering for sins. But not only does the author of Hebrews tell us why to come boldly, but he tells us how. How do we do this? Are there things we need to do? Works we need to achieve? rites that we need to perform? No says it really the same thing two ways. One, with confidence. Confidence in Jesus' perfect sacrifice. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, we also do it in full assurance of faith. Confident, assured, faith. Keep reading. Verse 22. Let us draw near, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. What's the only condition to draw near? What is the only condition that God gives for men and women to be able to draw near and be forgiven? Confident, fully assured faith. There's no work you can do, no right you can receive or partake in, no church attendance, no ministry involvement, no baptism, no participation in the Lord's Supper. There is nothing other than the condition of confident, assured faith. The doctrines of the Reformation is that we are justified by faith alone. That's a living faith. It's an active faith. It's a vital faith, but it is faith. And God calls us through through the author of Hebrews. He calls you, he calls me. And let us not miss over this first step to draw near. To draw near. You can be cleansed. Read the language. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience. and Our bodies washed with pure water. Maybe you showed up today and your conscience condemns you. Maybe you've done things in this past week you know you shouldn't. Maybe... Maybe you're tempted to think that all these nice, people, and people do tend to dress up on Easter. And so you can tend to think, I, I don't, I don't fit in. I, I can't be pure. I can't be forgiven. Not with all these nice people. It might work for these nice people around me, but not me. If you only knew what was going on in my heart, God does know. And in spite of that, he calls you to come because Jesus' sacrifice is enough. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. And that's the vital first call. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you've never turned from from your sin and turned from your idolatry to Him, now would be a wonderful time to do that. Because Jesus is risen. There is forgiveness. Because Jesus is risen, there is a new and living way. Because Jesus is risen, your consciences can be made clean. And because Jesus is risen, you can draw boldly before the throne of God. Let us draw near. And then... The author goes on to give a second corporate encouragement in the very next verse. Not only does he say, let us draw near, but let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast. And this is really, in many respects, the dominant theme or the sub-dominant theme of the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is is committed to a number of themes. The first and most important is the superiority of Jesus Christ, the superiority of his sacrifice, the superiority of his priesthood, the superiority of his covenant. But second to that is the urgent call that keeps getting dropped throughout the book of persevere, hold fast, continue, abide, endure. Endure. Again and again and again, the author stops his argument to encourage and stir up his readers. There appears to be some fear in his mind that they might return to Judaism, that they might fall away from the faith. And so he continually stirs them up. And so after calling us all to draw near, he doesn't stop there. He calls us to hold fast. Well, what does he mean, hold fast? Well, I think what it means is to persevere by faith through trials and suffering. Jump down, he'll describe, he, the author is aware of the people he was writing to. We don't know who wrote Hebrews with certainty. But look down in verse 32 where he reminds them of their own endurance. What does it mean to hold fast? He gives us an example in verse 32 and following. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. These people endured a hard struggle with sufferings. How so? Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. So some of the times it was direct persecution. And other times it was helping those and encouraging those being persecuted. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison. And this just puts me in awe of, of their faith. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. See how he picks up that theme? Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's what he means. What he's talking, what he's calling to, is to persevere. Whether it's in direct persecution, which sadly looks more and more like a possibility in this country. Or whether it's just the, the sufferings and the trials of life. Persevere, hold fast. But he doesn't just tell us what. He gives us reasons why. That doesn't sound like a fun thing to do. It doesn't sound like an easy thing to do. Does it sound easy to you to rejoice when you go visit some people in jail and you come home and find your house has been looted? Cuz that's what they did. And the author doesn't say, well you've done that so you've done enough. He keeps t- keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Hold fast. So why? It gives us three reasons why. The first reason comes right after our text and it's this: Because all who persist in willful sin will perish. All who persist in willful sin will perish. This is, this is one of the things people can wrestle up against. The Bible teaches people are saved by faith and faith alone. They are, they are saved, and once they come to faith, once the Lord has given them life, once they are His, they can never be lost. The Good Shepherd says, no one slips through my fingers. That's absolutely true. The Bible also equally affirms those who persist in unbelief and sin will perish. The resolution of that tension once saved, always saved, yet those who walk in darkness and sin should expect to perish, is the good shepherd preserves his flock by shepherding them. And he leaves the 99, and he goes and he gets the one who wanders off. So that ultimately, if you wander off and never return, you are not part of the good shepherd's flock, else he would have failed. Read this warning. Verse 26, immediately following. profanes the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is probably one of the strongest warnings in the book of Hebrews. And he makes it very clear what we should expect if we harden our hearts and we walk off in persistent and unrepentant sin. If we do that, and if the Spirit does not draw us back, and if the Good Shepherd does not leave the flock and come and get us, there's only an expectation of fiery wrath and judgment. Notice how all three members of the Trinity are brought into this judgment What happens when we ignore the gospel? What happens when we go our own way? What happens when we do as we please? Well, for starters, we spurn the Son of God. It's right there in verse 29. We profane We count as a worthless thing the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified outraged the Spirit of Grace. You've spurned the Son of God, you've outraged the Holy Spirit. Then, by implication in verse thirty, the writer brings in the Father, for we know him who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. There's the Father. Understand, if if you if you Think at some point in your life you've come to faith in Jesus. If some time ago you prayed a prayer, you walked denial, and I firmly believe people can and do get genuinely saved that way. The danger is to do that and do that only and then to continue to live the same. To continue to live your life the same way, loving the same things. When we do that, we outrage the Spirit. We spurn the Son of God and we provoke Him who says, I will repay. That, that's the warning. Why, why must we hold fast? It couldn't be any plainer. It's, it's, it's challenging. It's uncomfortable. Because all who persist in willful sin will perish. You don't get any plainer than that. Secondly, why? Number C, true faith must and will persevere. True faith must and will persevere. Jump down a little bit to verse 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So make no mistake, what happens to those who shrink back? Destruction but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You see, the writer of Hebrews is assuming that where there is genuine faith, there will not be an sh- ultimate shrinking back and destruction, but there will be perseverance. There will be preservation. But we must and will persevere. And the Lord uses means to drive us to do this. He uses the means of His Word. He uses the means of preaching. He might be using this means right now. He uses the means of other believers. He will shepherd His flock, and if you are His, He will bring you back. But for those who've wandered far and no shepherd has come calling, questions might need to be asked. You might need to go back to this first command. Have I ever really drawn near? Hold fast. It gives one other reason why. Because up to this point, it sounds like it's all on us. I need to hold fast, and if I don't hold fast, watch out. But but there's another reason, which is ultimately the hope that we have, is that Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Look at that in verse 23. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. See, at the end of the day, my hope and my confidence that I will persevere does not rest in the fact that, you know what, I've made up my mind, I've gripped my teeth, I've determined, I'm not turning back, I'm going to go there. I'll I'll tell you the honest truth. I I turn back daily, weekly. I am a stupid sheep. (laughs) Those, Those who know me can say amen. But I have a shepherd who is faithful. I have a shepherd who who comes after me and he uses his word as a rod and he uses his people and people in this very room have have challenged me and called me back to faithfulness. At the end of the day if I hope to go to heaven my faith must prove to be genuine my perseverance to the end but ultimately my hope is not in me and my endurance and in my fortitude but in him he is faithful. He is faithful. So we must, and the commandment is to us, we must draw near, we must hold fast, but we hold fast in the hopes and trust that the one whom we have laid hold of will not let go of us. Amen? And then the author of Hebrews gives us a practical way of this persevering with his third exhortation. Let's look at that quickly. Let us gather to encourage Since the stakes are that high, since there's a free offer to draw near, since no one will be turned away, and the only condition is faith, confident, assured faith, and since all are invited, and since such dangers are there for those who would fall away, He gives us a mechanism, a means by which we can keep each other persevering. a way which the good shepherd will shepherd his flock. Let us gather to encourage. Look at the last exhortation in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us gather to encourage. You see, salvation is individual, person by person. Your parents' faith can't save you. Your children's faith can't save you. Your husband's or wife's faith cannot save you. You must turn to Christ, and you must exercise faith, and you must humble yourself. But the perseverance and the maintaining and the growth of faith is a community project. That's one of the reasons Jesus Christ gave us His church so that we can encourage one another. Again and again and again in Hebrews, this has been the author's answer. If you've ever wondered, why do why do people go to church on Sunday? There's a number of reasons. Not the least of these is that so my faith can be encouraged, that other people can encourage me with their faith, so that if I feel like I'm hanging on by my fingernails, somebody else comes along and encourages me, and so that I might speak words of encouragement to someone else. And so that together the flock may be faithful and persevere. How's that done? First, he says, the command is give consideration, give prayerful thought and consideration. This is something you don't passively do. I think it's easy sometimes to fall into the rut of going to church. You just go, that's what Christians do. You put up with the, the guy who talks for a bit, you drink some coffee, you leave. If that's all you're doing, you're not obeying this command. Give consideration. Think about. Plan. Are you coming here to serve or be served? Or to check a box? This, this says we ought to come to serve. If you're doing your homework properly from this command, sometime on Friday or Saturday, you're thinking, okay, okay, how, how am I gonna, how am I gonna encourage? I got, Lord, give me some wisdom. I need, how am I gonna encourage Dave? How am I gonna encourage Mark? Oh, I want to encourage Isla. I want to encourage Joel. How am I going to do that? You're thinking and you're planning to encourage, literally to stir them up to good works. I was talking to someone recently who, I was talking through this passage, and they said to me, you know, I don't know how to encourage people. I fear that more often than not I might irritate them. You know what's really cool? The verb for stir up means irritate. (laughs) That's what it means. It's to provoke to provoke and stir up. So if you want to go out there and you try to encourage someone and you irritate them, that's biblical, okay? That's biblical. (laughs) Amen, brother. Amen. Now hopefully, hopefully you won't be irritating each other, but you get the idea that it's active. This isn't something you sort of casually do, and you got to be purposefully looking to do it. Why, Why do you come here? He tells us another how. He says it negatively. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, or good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. How, how do you do this? Well, to make it obvious, how do you gather to encourage? You need to gather. Fair enough. Now, I can't help but note, we've got a larger-than-usual audience this morning. And I know that in many cases, it's family, it's friends, people from other places, but I, I can't help but wonder... If perhaps Easter, Christmas, the big Christian holidays draws more people out who, who may have actually slipped into this bad habit. If you, if you don't go to church very often, if this is sort of your one or two times a year, you're welcome. God bless you. We, we're glad you're here. But you're not, you're not being faithful to this command. And I doubt very much whether your faith is growing and persevering. I'll let you deal with that yourself. But this is God's ordained mechanism for how we persevere and keep believing. Turn back to chapter 3 of Hebrews. Turn back to chapter 3 of Hebrews. You'll see it again. Again, the author of Hebrews repeatedly and alternately exalting Christ and His superiority and, and warning and encouraging His readers to Persevere. And he doesn't just tell them what to do, but he gives them encouragement of how to do it. Take care, brothers, verse 12, Hebrews 3, 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you. Now, look at notice the corporate and individual. Take care, brothers. Take care of you all. Phil, that's, that's a little Southern. Take care of you all. <laughs> lest there be in any of you an individual. So the group's gotta take care. What is the group taking care of? Lest there be an individual, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Okay, that's the danger. That in the group, one of us might be slipping away. One of us, the fingernails on the edge of the, the precipice are just letting go. What do you do about that? Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I checked my calendar this morning just to make sure it's today. It's today. And as long as the Lord tarries and you have life, there is this perennial today. Today is a day to encourage your brothers and sisters. Today is a day to be encouraged. Today is a day to be careful lest you or someone near you begins to slip and harden and fall away. Today is a day to be Christians, to hear God's Word and to encourage each other. Habitually gather together. And what do we do back in Hebrews 10 when we gather? We encourage one another. We speak the words of life to one another. We encourage one another. We encourage one another. What does that mean? Well, maybe for someone who's discouraged, it's reminding them of God's promises. Hey, He's faithful. He has risen. He will not forsake you. Maybe for someone who's in sin, it's, it's, it's correction. Hey, brother, hey, sister, you ought not to speak that way. Maybe, maybe it's instruction. Someone is unaware of something in God's words. Maybe it's giving help. Maybe it's praying for. There are so many ways we can encourage and spur one another on. But that is the work of gathering together. That is what I hope you are here for. And that is all flowing out of the reality of the resurrection. Because Christ has offered once for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And because this amazing access is granted indiscriminately to all, all are invited, all are called to come. They need only draw near with confident faith. Draw near then, but also hold fast. Hold fast. Knowing that as you hold fast, it is because he has taken hold of you and he is holding you fast. But if your version of Christianity is going to church once or twice a year, maybe praying a prayer at dinner, beware. Keep reading. Beware. The good news is you're still welcome to draw near. Just go back to the start. Draw near hold fast how do we hold fast how do we keep on believing how do we persevere we gather and we encourage and what this means is i need knuckleheads like you and you need knuckleheads like me we need each other to keep being faithful it's true you might look around and say i don't need these people well it's just as shocking to them that they need you i assure you (laughs) we need each other We become the body of Christ as we gather. We do His work. We speak His words. We carry on His mission on earth while He is in heaven. This this is how we live in community in light of the cross. If Jesus is risen, this is how we must live. If Jesus is risen, this is how we must order ourselves. If Jesus is risen, and He is, we have access. Draw near. Hold fast and continue to gather and encourage. We'll be having some fellowship and brunch after this. A wonderful opportunity to put this exhortation into application. Find somebody. Encourage some person. Give some thought to it now. Help us all finish the race faithfully. As we pray to sing our closing song, let's let's close in a word of prayer. Lord God, we rejoice that we may draw near. We pray, Lord, that You would take hold of us even as we have taken hold of You by faith and that You would cause us to hold fast, that You would shepherd us, that You would go after us when we stray, that You would bring us back, that You would build us up. And Lord, help us to participate in that great work as we encourage one another. Help us not just to show up to be served, but to serve. Not just to be encouraged, but to encourage. Lord, give us the words of life to speak and to live in light of the resurrection. Amen.